0: We exist? Were we created with a purpose, or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to the universe next door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. This show is a ministry of the C.S. Lewis Society and supported by gifts of listeners just like you. Join us as we seek to see a generation captivated and transformed by the truth of Christianity. This is The Universe Next Door.
1: Welcome to The Universe Next Door. Uh, You'll notice today that I'm not doing a separate cool intro, uh, and that is because I have a good friend of mine, a professor and pastor, Dr. Christopher Gates, with me today. Uh, and we—I have a fall festival meeting after this, so I just don't have time to do a separate intro, and we're not going to do it. So, Doctor Gates, how are you? I—I uh, I just had coffee. I heard you yawn a little while ago, but I drank a coffee because so I'm just ready to go tonight. I'm ready to talk about the wrath of God for those who listened to the promo yesterday. You'll know what's going on here. Uh, but this is also a topic that you. This kind of is very involved with your dissertation and a lot of stuff you do so obviously i thought this would be fitting
0: yeah i appreciate it i appreciate any invitation to come um and chat with you it's always a fun discussion uh whether we are at uh the petting zoo with our sons or uh here recording a podcast it's always a good time so happy happy to drop in anytime uh you ask
1: yeah no definitely and uh, it's funny you say sons because uh the patterns i've been plugging this patterns of exodus or patterns of evidence thing journeyed to Mount sinai every week here because the movie's coming out next monday and we're going to that movie you're the guy who's who's going with me uh and it's funny you say sons because i didn't think about how our sons are not going because they'll ruin the movie and uh, i don't know what we're going to do with them I, I should have had my wife plan this
0: yeah, uh, yeah, the girls aren't going, huh? Okay, um, that's fine. Nope, I'll let Angela know. No, I didn't tell her she was going, so it's probably better for us to. is a hard thing to, uh, figure out, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever works. Whatever works. We could smuggle them into the theater and just <laughs> see how that goes.
0: I'm pretty sure they're free, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, would be, uh, would be a disturbance. Simon is now finding his voice and trying it out, uh, any chance he gets, so... Yeah, Uh, might not be good for a movie. Yeah,
1: no, probably not. I I heard it the other day on the phone. My son does the same thing. It's ba 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 like as loud as he can. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, so they're probably not going. But other than that, (laughs) that's going to be fun. Uh, So let's get into the topic of the wrath of God. Uh, This is it's it's basically I wanted to do an episode about it because it's something that I've had a conviction for a long time. Um, just doesn't get brought up a whole lot. I I know a lot of churches, uh, a lot of the time, even might skip passages that have to do with the wrath of God. And it's just, it's an uncomfortable thing for a lot of people. It's something that, uh, that uh, many might just not know what to do with. It's like, what do you mean the wrath of God? That sounds like intense anger and it is, but we're going to, we're going to get into some details in this, but I just wanted to kind of do like an overview of what the wrath of God is and what some of its implications are. Um, So I guess we could just start with the question, what is the wrath of God? If somebody walks up to you and asks you that question, or or let's say in a classroom setting, that's probably more realistic, um, how do we respond to the idea of what the wrath of God is?
0: Uh, Yeah, well, there is, you know, a very clear um, and overt biblical precedence for it. Um, And, uh, you know, anytime you're reading through the Bible, if you're you're doing just a thorough reading... um, You're going to find uh, references to the wrath of God. And most often, and for people who are, you know, kind of lay people or just your regular Mm -hmm. congregants in the church, and then even people who aren't involved in the church, people have this idea of you know, these these like two different gods, like the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, right? And just in saying that, you're already, you know, these ideas are coming to your mind and the listeners, the ideas are coming to their minds. And generally those ideas are the God of the Old Testament was this wrathful, you know, angry, vengeful God who would you know, dole out curses and and different punishments on people. Uh, and then the God of the New Testament, you know, personified in Jesus, this this God who is full of love and grace and mercy and, and tells people to turn <clears> the <throat> other cheek and those sorts of things. And uh, right out of the gate, people have a conception of uh, this idea that God has wrath, that he has vengeance. It's part of his character. And as you were saying, it's one that we don't often like to talk about, but it's one that everybody is aware of because the Bible testifies to it uh, very clearly. And just to not let that false notion go uh, before we before we move on, but th- that there's Uh, You know, a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament is completely a farce. Um, There is one God. uh, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His actions in the Old Testament are not any different than his actions in the New Testament. Uh, We have the person of Christ who came along, uh, which uh kind of reorients us in our relationship to God, uh, in, in such a way that experientially we are experiencing God in a different way, but God is the same and when you read through the Old Testament, I was just teaching a class last night on um the prophetic writings. And all throughout the prophets, the prophets are all full of these warnings against the wrath of God that's coming on the nation of Israel. But in all of them, there's always grace. There's always a way of escape. There's always a means for the people to avoid this wrath. And in all of the biblical stories where you see God dispensing punishment, there was always a way of escape and there's always restoration that comes after it. There's always love. We see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, people forget, I think, sometimes about, you know, like the book of Romans, uh, which talks very much about the wrath of God. And then even you, of course, go to the very close of the Bible in Revelation and we get, uh, real vivid pictures of the wrath of God. So, uh, if you are under the impression that God Acted differently in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament or than he does right now uh, don 't believe that 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 's not true at all. God mm-hmm. is a God who never changes and um, we may see him manifesting himself uh, <laughs> i won 't say dispensations, but we may see him uh, <laughs> manifesting himself in the course of human history in different ways at different times, but he is the same God and one of the attributes of God uh, one of the aspects of who he is is that he has wrath and that wrath is always directed towards uh, unrighteousness unholiness, sin so it is I like to think of it like this and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it that his his wrath is not something that he necessarily um, willfully enacts um, and and don't don't get me wrong here uh, I struggle. I struggle at words, and uh, it might be good to just uh, remember the the quote from um, Augustine here in his in his book, the Trinity. And when he's trying to talk mm-hmm. about the Trinity, he's actually talking about talking about the three persons. And he says how persons isn't a good word, but he has this really great line, which can be used much more broadly, where he says that uh, it's not the words that we are using fail. Uh, no words are perfect, but we have to say something; otherwise, we're reduced to silence. So uh, in all of these descriptors, they're probably less than perfect words. They are less than perfect words, but they are words that we have to use uh, so that we have some kind of way to talk about God, even if it's imperfect. And when it comes to his wrath, uh, I don't think that his wrath is something that he is necessarily looking around uh, for a place to aim it and to execute it. I think it is something that is more or less just the natural byproduct of sin when he encounters it. So it's not something that he necessarily has to try to do, uh, not even something I would say that he necessarily even wills himself to do. It's something that is just the natural response of who he is, just in the same way that we read in in Scripture that God is love. So then everything that he does is necessarily loving, is necessarily motivated by love. Uh, the converse of <laughs> receiving the love of God is then receiving the wrath of God, and that is just a part of who he is. So when we sin, when we are <clears throat> at odds with God— the only thing that we should expect is not to be in a place where we're receiving his love, but in a place where we're receiving his wrath. And I I just, as I'm trying to, um, you know, think about how he enacts this in the world, it, it's not, we shouldn't think about it as he's looking around, you know, at somebody that he can just pounce on uh, and pour out his anger and vengeance on. That's not it at all. It's really just more or less what we should naturally expect to uh, receive when our sin bumps up against him, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I think it definitely makes sense. And that, and it's a really important distinction to make because God's not uh, impulsive. Like When we think of wrath or anger, we think of probably mostly our own anger, which is most of the time, probably not righteous. Like, there is such a thing as righteous anger, according to Paul. Uh, and God is righteously angry when he's angry. He doesn't just impulsively get angry. Uh, there are many times, many, many times, where it's like the iniquity of nations is building up before he does anything to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you see at the Tower of Babel, he finally hands them over to uh, the sons of God. You see in Romans 1 that they're handed over to uh, their sin, mostly sexual sin. So there's idea this idea of God being patient his 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 anger is patient he doesn't just usually go off the cuff that's not who god is but his anger is also very real and very intense so it builds up and then he hands uh he hands people over to their sin but he does it in his own his own patience um so do you think the idea of like let's say romans 1 that the wrath of god is being unveiled against unrighteousness do you think um do you think there's a difference between the wrath of god in that sort of setting in the ultimate wrath of god like for example we'll see speaking of nice guy jesus the nice guy with the thumbs up on a t-shirt uh, in the book of revelation like the, the wrath we see in the book of revelation with the wine press of god's wrath in revelation 14 with the idea of being burned with sulfur in the presence of the lamb um, do you think there's a difference between that ultimate punishment or wrath and the idea of wrath being unveiled here on earth
0: yeah, um, so this actually uh, came up also last night as we were talking about uh, the prophets and the um, idea, the motif of the day of the Lord, right? And uh, Joel uh, famously, uh, one of the one of the pictures that we have of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament is in Joel chapter 2, and he talks about, uh, you know, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, and that is something, um, presumably— and depending on who's doing the interpreting, uh, something that Joel's original audience would have seen uh, in their lifetime, probably a judgment that God sent in you know, uh, on the nation of Israel from a foreign invading army. And he talks about the day of the Lord, and, and it's coming, and these people are going to see it. So they see it. Then you have this kind of uh, reappropriation of that uh, that Peter uh, uses Joel when he 's preaching in acts there um, in that in that wonderful sermon that he gives at the day of Pentecost, and he says that what happened on the cross was the day of the Lord, so you have the day of the Lord there in Joel, kind of like this foreshadowing of it, which was pointing to Jesus on the cross, but then we are also told that the day of the Lord is that final day that you were talking about when Jesus returns, So it's this progressive revelation sort of thing that uh, perhaps some of your listeners are familiar with, where we're kind of being given glimpses of these things all along the way. And I think that when it comes to the wrath of God, um, that is, it it works in the same way that it is progressively being revealed uh, to humanity. Um, And in a certain sense, I think that the cross Um, there was obviously an outpouring of the wrath of God, maybe not obviously, but I think for most of us, we understand and we even sing it in some of our hymns. Um, and the Bible doesn't come out and directly say it, but it's, uh, what is the, and on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. You know, we, we, we sing it, Mm -hmm. um, And there is a biblical precedence for it. I mean, that is what, you know, the atonement is, that is what substitutionary atonement is, that someone uh, stood in our place, Jesus in our place, and and took on the wrath of God onto himself. Um, So we had a revelation there of it at the cross, but yes, as you were saying, there is still coming another day, another fuller expression of the wrath of God, which I believe will be made manifest here on this earth in this temporal reality that we all exist in right now, and then its fullest expression uh, will be in the next reality, when we enter into eternity and the veil is removed from all of our eyes. And for those of us who are uh, going to be going into glory, uh, the veil is removed in order that we might see and experience God's love and his goodness and his grace in a, a way that we never thought possible. And the opposite of that is for those people who are not, um, have not had their sins covered at the cross. They are going to have the veil removed from their eyes, from their minds, hearts, and souls, and they will experience the wrath of God in a way that they never thought possible. So, uh, yes, yes, uh, right now, in the in the current world and setting that we are living in, there are uh, echoes of uh, or foreshadowings of the wrath of God, but it is nothing um, compared to what is coming, uh, even in our human history here on this earth, and then especially not uh, eternally.
1: Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm glad you brought up the cross early on here because I think a lot of this conversation really has to center. Um around the cross. And forgive me if I bring up the Day of Atonement a couple times, because I'm sort of obsessed. Last week was the Day of Atonement on Wednesday, or at least like the recognized holiday, of course, is fulfilled. But uh, we went over it in youth group because we had some of our, just a couple of our older students and adult leaders there. So it's like we could get into things a little more intricate because we had people who could pay attention. And so we did that on our Q&A. And we ended up going through, all through Leviticus 16 and Hebrews 9, uh, and, but one of the things we talked about is how interesting it is when you look at the first six chapters of Leviticus, and even Leviticus 16 with the Day of Atonement, it's like the sacrifices weren't actually intended to pay for sin. They didn't actually uh, completely mm. atone for the forgiveness of your sins. The language used in, in, in those uh, chapters about sacrifice is really the idea of decontamination. And when you look mm-hmm. at the the day of atonement when he would go and the, the high priest would slaughter the goat and sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat, when you look at the text, it said he made atonement for the most holy place. So it's like what they're doing is resetting the temple. Um, they're 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 cleansing the temple, they're resetting Israel, and they're and I think decontam- decontamination is a, a helpful word there, but it's important because only Christ, the Hebrews author tells us, could pay for sin. The yeah. the blood of bulls and goats that couldn't pay for sin, only he could atone for it, and that's because he took on the full wrath of God. Like, if you just picture all of God's wrath put on a laser beam at Christ and just all aimed at him, it's like, he's the only one who could handle it, and thankfully thankfully for us he did handle it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you, you're making a distinction in saying it's like his, his wrath is revealed throughout human history, but there's an ultimate sense of... Uh, in which his wrath will be poured out on anybody who, who ultimately doesn't believe. And that's all we have to do is, is put our faith in Christ. But you even see this, you went through the book of John, or you're going through the book of John, but you see this in the last chapter of John 3, where uh, those who reject the Son of God, the wrath of God remains on them. So there's not this idea that, like, you're neutral. I did a thing on this a couple weeks ago, but it's not like everybody's neutral and they just have to make a decision. It's like we're either under the domain of Satan or we're in the kingdom of light, but there's no neutrality there. There's no middle place. So it's like his his wrath remains. If I hadn't put my faith in Christ, his wrath would have already been on me and remaining on me, building up until um, you ultimately face the wrath of God after death. But um, So, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important— you were making that distinction, and before we get into the, I guess the end, the end. Uh, I don't want to say end goal, but the completion of the wrath of God and in, in the afterlife. What else uh, did you want to add here?
0: Yeah, well, I think that was a, I think that was really um, an important point that you brought up. And yeah, I, I love what the writer of Hebrews says. You know he, that the, the blood of you know goats could never, it could never. Take away sin. That's not what was going on there, um, and the only uh, person who uh, you know c- could uh, deal with sin um, is Jesus. And I, I say that, but um, at least in in a substitutionary sense, uh, every one of us is um, to some degree capable of uh, dealing with. God's wrath, uh, but it will take us eternity. Uh, God's wrath is unquenchable, just like all of the other attributes of who he is. Just as his love is eternal and unending, uh, there is no end to his love. It, it, you can never experience all of it. Just as his knowledge is eternal and unending, you could never plumb the full depths of all of the knowledge of God, his splendor, his glory, his majesty, all of those things that are unending so his wrath is unending. And you cannot find uh, the end of it. You will never reach uh, the end of the wrath of God. That is why the punishment for sin is eternal. However, Jesus can contain uh, eternity within himself. Jesus is uh, actually able to uh, take an eternal punishment and, and essentially, if you want to think of it in, in such a way, he can make his soul or body, whatever, eternally elastic in such a way that he can contain it all within himself and then he can do away with it all. So um, I think that's a really, uh, really interesting point that you raised um, just about uh, the finality of uh, what Christ did uh, on the cross.
1: Yeah, so you're saying, obviously, when when a human being dies uh, apart from Christ, it's going to take them eternity to pay for sin because God's an eternal God, and any sin against an eternal being is obviously having to be paid for uh, eternally. It's kind of like if I this is just this is such a small example, and it's not perfect, but like if I walked up and just slapped someone on the street, um, they could probably try to turn me in. And I might get in trouble if they can prove it. But if I if I walk up and slap like, I don't know, somebody who's like working at a supermarket, it might be a little bit bigger of a deal. And then I walk up and slap like the mayor, that's going to be an even bigger deal. Now it's like the FBI is going to get involved. And if I go up and try to slap like a president or something like that, now I'm probably just going to prison and being investigated. And so it's like, because God is so much higher than any other being, the sin that we commit against God has to be paid for eternally. And so that takes us in eternity because we're not eternal beings. We're, we're mortal beings. Uh, but you're saying that because Christ is eternal, it does not take him in eternity to pay for all the sins of the world?
0: Yeah, yeah, he can he can contain it, uh, essentially, all within himself. It is it is eternity, uh, you know, contained within within um, a human being making him, you know, the link between he is our link to uh, the divine. So yes, he's, uh, we will actually be in um, John. 10 uh this week and he is he is the door that's what he says he is he is our entry point in so um yes it is through him that that all of these things are made uh possible and as you were talking about in leviticus all of those things that ceremony um that they would repeat year after year after year uh this temporary um you know uh, performance, essentially, that was really pointing to the real thing which was coming in Christ. Um, so, yes, when it comes to satisfying the wrath of God, you can either accept the work that Jesus did in in satisfying the wrath there in the space of time that he was on the cross, or you can decide that you will <laughs> try and satisfy the wrath of God, but it will take you uh, forever and ever.
1: Yeah. And that's a, first of all, terrifying thought, which is what Hebrews says. Hebrews says it's a terrifying thing to fall yeah. into the hands of, of the living God. And, and it's just kind of like in the old Testament, when you see the hand of God used different ways, it's like the hand of God can be for or against you. And it's just, it's a terrifying thought. But on the other hand, it's like, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, that all of that wrath is turned away. We won't even know it. Um, we'll never even taste it. And so it's like, it's just being received into God's hands, two different ways, Um, but yeah, that, that is such an intense thought Now, what do you think about the idea of, um, I guess the idea, the idea of hell, when we look at the passage in revelation that talks about being tormented in the presence of the lamb, um, what do we do with that? Because I think there's a a misunderstanding that's kind of developed, um, that Satan is going to be the ruler of hell for all of eternity, that he's kind of like, almost like the God of hell forever. And it's like. Uh, people have this idea that jesus went to hell to pay the wrath to satan or there's this idea that you're going to hell to pay to to pay uh, for your sin and satan's the one who's like who's kind of the one in charge and all that sort of thing um but what do you think of that idea of being in the presence of the lamb of god actually being present in hell at least in some way like what do we do with that
0: Yeah, well, that, I mean, that really is kind of at the heart of this whole thing, um, is that when we're talking about, if the cross was uh, Jesus satisfying the wrath of God, then they're in the same way. It's not the Roman soldiers who were inflicting the punishment at the cross. They were doing you know, the worst that they could to Jesus, but it wasn't even, you know, the the cross that Jesus was scared of when he was praying in the garden and said, Lord, if there's if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't because he was going to be crucified. Um, David Platt actually did a really good job explaining this in his book Radical, and he talks about all these martyrs who went bravely to their death and essentially taunting their Torturers and tormentors uh, (laughs) proclaiming the goodness of God as they were dying, bravely going. uh, A a couple of them, a man who was about to be decapitated said, you know, you can can cut off my head, but you can never cut me off from my head who is Jesus Christ. There was a man, Mm -hmm. they were skinning him alive, and as they were peeling his flesh off of him while he was alive, he said, thank you for removing this temporary suit of skin because I will soon put on glory glory and you hear all of these things and it's like how is it that these men were able to be so brave in the face of death and jesus is cowering in the garden begging not to go to the cross and it's because he wasn't afraid of the cross (laughs) he was afraid of the wrath of god and that is the punishment of sin is the wrath of god so if hell is the punishment for sin then And if the punishment for sin is the wrath of God, then God must be present in some way, shape, or form in hell. And if it is only that it is the presence of his wrath, then that's what it is. And yes, as you said, hell is not a place that Satan rules. Hell is a place that the Bible tells us was prepared for Satan and the demons. It was a place that God made to punish Satan and all of those people who would follow after him, uh, what what Jesus says, you know, throughout the gospels in John, when he says that uh, your father is either God or your father is the devil, uh, we will share in the inheritance of our father. And if our father's God, we are with him in glory in heaven. And if not, then we are being punished with uh, Satan in hell. So Satan is not, yeah, he's not ruling over hell. He's being tormented there just as much as anyone else. And it is kind of a difficult thought for people to consider that it is actually God who is inflicting uh the punishment um in hell but uh it really kind of is the only thing that makes sense when you really when you really stop and think about it that God's righteous anger burns against sin. Um, and I, I loved the way that you explained it, uh, several minutes ago when we first started talking about the, you know, the contrast between human wrath, uh, in God's wrath and human wrath often is wild. It's uncontrollable. Somebody gets to a place where they're just raging and they're, you never know what they're going to say or do, or who's going to be on the receiving end of whatever anger they might have. Uh, God's wrath is not like that. In Proverbs twenty-four, twelve, uh, it says, If you say, Behold, uh, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does uh, not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay a man according to his works? That God's wrath is not blind? Uh, It is not just uh, blanketed, but it is very specific, and it is with uh, perfect knowledge of the person who is on the receiving end of it. J.I. Packer... Uh, the great theologian said it like this God's wrath in the Bible is never capricious, self indulgent, irritable, uh, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. So, what is taking place in hell? And, uh, very much I have come to understand hell in kind of a similar way as you understand heaven, that in heaven uh, we're given all of these descriptions, um, and particularly in 1 Corinthians when when Paul is talking about the rewards that we receive for the things done in this body, whether good or bad, that the reward uh, fits the performance, you know? And, and this is not to say I'm not talking about uh, hierarchies and things like that. Uh, people always want to ask about, like, who's going to have you know, the best seat and those sorts of things. You either have this weird homogenized, uh, experience in heaven where everyone is having the same experience, wearing the same robe, the same crown where we just, there's like a billion of us who are all just clones of each other having the same exact experience, which I think sounds boring and slightly creepy, um. I think that heaven is tailor-made for each one of us, that our uh, performance here on this earth, the experiences that we've gone through here, uh, our faithfulness to the Lord... I think is reflected eternally forever and ever and ever based on the things that we've done in this life, whether good or bad, like Paul says. In the same way, hell is not this homogenous, just this one big lake of fire where Hitler uh, is going to be standing right next to your grandma, who was a sweet old lady and did all of the wonderful things that she could for everybody, but she just maybe never gave her life to the Lord. I just don't uh, see it happening like that. I see the Lord's sovereign knowledge of each one of our lives, uh, specifically tailoring uh, our experience of him, whether that is his goodness or whether that is his wrath. And you kind of can't really get around the fact that uh, it is God who is uh, uh, overseeing the punishment that is being dispensed uh, to people in hell. And I know that's something that makes people uncomfortable, but Uh, God is not uncomfortable, uh, with hell. He's not uncomfortable talking about it. It's not something that he's ashamed of. It's not something that, uh, he shies away from or tries to hide away. Uh, everything that he does is good. Everything that he does is right, is just, and he, even if he wanted to, could boast about it. Um, and that would be okay too. So, yeah, kind of hard to kind of hard to digest sometimes for people, and not always the most fun thing to think about. But if we are talking about the full counsel of Scripture and trying to know uh, the totality of who God is, uh, His retribution, His uh, punishment towards sin is something that we have to we have to deal with.
1: Yeah. And I was going to also mention that too, that especially for new believers and and maybe new listeners, like this sounds intense and it is intense, but my wife and I have talked about this a number of times and it's like, I want God to purge from my mind, any wrong thought I have about him through his word. So it's like, if, if I'm uncomfortable with the idea of the wrath of God, it's because there's something about God that I don't fully understand. uh, And it's something that I don't fully grasp. And so it's, it's, there are a lot of times where you learn something that makes you uncomfortable. I still remember the first time, and I'll get into this down the road, so I, I, this is the last time I'll mention that anything about the Divine Council, but the first <laughs> time you see like Psalm 82, and you see Elohim standing in judgment against Elohim, and you're like, what? And it just makes you like, it just sucks the blood out of your face. It makes your heart drop. And, and sometimes it's the same things when you when you see passages about wrath that you've never seen before. When you see Utza um, dropping dead for sticking his hand out mm. to try to fall, uh, the, the that keep the ark from falling or if you see uh nadab and abihu committing a false sacrifice and that all of a sudden fire consumes them when you go to number 16 and you see the sons of korah who wrote a lot of the psalms by the way like their father is swallowed up into the earth as it's split in half and the rest of them are consumed by fire and it's like it makes you uncomfortable because you're like i don't i don't get it um but my wife and I have always just decided that whatever the Bible says about God is true, and it's it's better. It's not just that I have to accept it, it's that I want to understand it because it's better than whatever I thought, because it's who God truly is. And who God truly is is always better than the God that I imagine him to be, because I can't imagine God to be what he truly is. I only know who he is through his word and through his revealed scripture, his revelation. of. I mean, of course, we can see God exist through nature, but we don't know the gospel through nature. We don't know all the attributes of God through nature. Um, and you had mentioned earlier uh, about... I, I like what you said about heaven and hell not just being like this, I guess, like a flat flat fee payment kind of thing. It's different rewards for everybody and different punishments to some degree for everybody. And we know that God is slow to anger. We know that he desires for all to repent and to receive those award, uh, rewards. So God is not desiring... Uh, to punish people he it pleased him to crush his son. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. it pleased the Lord to crush him. So Christ has fully paid the wrath of God and um, it's up to us to receive it. So we're not doing anything, we're not earning anything. it's simply he's already paid the wrath and it's silly to turn it down. We either we either receive him or we reject him. there's no there's no neutral ground there um, but anything we can learn about God that's true, It's always better than whatever we previously had thought about God, regardless of the, uh, I guess, regardless of the topic.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you raised um, uh, an important point there, uh, which is that we we want our understanding of God, you know, to be informed by uh, Scripture. That's where we want to... Uh, anything that we claim to know, it it needs to align with scripture, but we also have to remember that, you know, as Paul says that we're seeing, uh, kind of in a, in a mirror dimly, you know, like we're seeing this imperfect, uh, form, this imperfect picture. And that is the wonderful thing, uh, when it comes to, you know, you say like the love of God, uh, however Pure and wonderful, you have ever experienced love, uh, in you know this human realm. Um, it, it will be as as I was talking about before. When the veil is removed, you will you will see. Then you will know uh, fully, uh, not just in part, but you will know in full uh, the love of God and when we bear that in mind that we are only just seeing a a shadowy sort of vague picture of all of these things, uh, you, you think that about God's wrath too. And this is not to say that it's going to be worse than you could possibly think that it is. Um, I perhaps in some sense you might say that, but, uh, we're comparing wrath and anger and punishment and all of these things, uh, to, whatever human sort of you know point of correspondence that we can find um and those are imperfect pictures of it and there may be some solace for people some consolation for people to know that whatever it is that you are seeing and knowing and understanding about the wrath of god it is imperfect and perhaps when we uh, see him and know him fully even as we are fully known and we maybe even are given a fuller uh, or maybe complete understanding of his wrath, it will be something that will sit well with our souls and that we will say yes and amen to. That we won't find this thing where we feel like we want to recoil from God because how could you possibly do this? But we will fully understand how And why he could do that. Because right now we just don't, we don't have the full picture. All we can do is look at what the Bible tells us. It seems like, oh. I don't like that. I don't like that part of God, but it's something that you kind of just have to, you have to trust him. Um, and it's something that I have prayed about many times and like hell, you know, it's really forever, forever and ever and ever torment and, and weeping and gnashing of teeth and forever. And, you know, I have really sought the Lord on it. And like, I just don't understand. And uh he's never made me to understand, but he has given me, a piece in my heart and in my mind about it that you don't understand. And uh, maybe you never will understand, but uh, trust me that you just have to trust God that what he's doing is right and what he's doing is just, and it is fair and it is equitable and all of the good things about God can still be said about his wrath and about his judgment, even when it seems like they might not.
1: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I've even heard, Uh, people wonder the same thing about heaven. Like the idea of heaven makes me uncomfortable Mm. because I don't don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's like to be out of this body or at least in my new restored body. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be either just void of time or in some kind of different functioning time. Uh, I don't know what it's like to be worshiping forever. And and so even with heaven, I've had a lot of people or at least a handful of people bring this up that it makes them uncomfortable too, or what is it? Um, so it's like, there is a certain point where you just have to say, like, like you just said, I, I cannot fully fathom this. I, and when I get to heaven, I'll probably find out that I knew even less than I thought I did, like far less than I Mm -hmm. thought I did. So we just have to trust the Lord. Um, we just have to know that something I don't understand and that is beyond this realm. It's, that should not be something that keeps me from, from faith in Christ or from trusting God. Like why would something that you can't see be the thing that you wouldn't believe, uh, and so sometimes it's it's hard to wrap our mind around some of these things, and we can't, but we certainly can't trust God. And that's that's really what faith is. It's believing God and believing his promises are true, regardless of what they are. Uh, that would include his wrath. That would include heaven. That would include salvation and all these things. But ultimately, faith is uh, trusting what God has revealed to us and trusting he is the one revealing it to us and capable of keeping all of his promises and more. Yeah. And so...
0: And we do have yeah. a kind of a a glimmer of uh, the goodness of God's wrath that's even kind of written in all of our hearts. And you quoted there out of Psalm, or rather Isaiah 53 that uh, it, it pleased him, that is the Father, to crush him, that is the son, that it uh, was according to God's good and perfect will to crush the sun. And uh, that's a difficult thing too for people sometimes to wrangle. But uh, I've come to think about it like this, that if Jesus, not if Jesus, but since Jesus was uh, the embodiment of Certainly all of the sin of the uh, redeemed, and then uh, perhaps all of the sin of the whole world, but almost certainly not. Uh, the sin of the redeemed <laughs> was was placed on him. He made him, uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, who knew no sin to be sin. So Jesus was, became sin personified, and it was God's good pleasure. It made God happy to crush sin in Jesus. So he he destroyed sin. And, and if you think about it like this, uh, there is a sense in every single one of us that we love and we desire and we rejoice in justice. That when we see a horrible person do a horrible thing to another person, when we see people who mistreat children and who mistreat uh, you know, the the poor and, and disenfranchised, and when we see people exploiting other people and taking advantage of them, and when you think about the most vile sin that you can think of, some kind of rape or uh, horrible incest or any of these things that happen in the world that we see, there is something inside of every single one of us that breathes a sigh of relief when we know that that sin has been dealt with, that the person has received uh, the just punishment for the evil they inflicted on another person. And that is part of the nature of God that he has written on each and every one of our hearts, and it is only through Uh, wrath. It is only through retribution for sin that we can have that peace that there is justice in the world, that there is, uh, that nothing is going to go unaccounted for. So when you think about it in those terms, when you think about the fact that there's something that is, is good and that is right about us, desiring and rejoicing in justice. And this is not to to say it's vindictive. Uh, That's completely different to to like revel in someone else's pain. uh, That's not what I'm talking about at all. But what I'm talking about is uh, knowing that justice has been done. uh, That is from God, and that is what his wrath is about. That is what hell is about. Uh, It's all of those things. So it is good. It is actually good. Um, and it may be hard for us to wrap our minds around, but his his wrath is a good thing. It was a good thing that Jesus died. <laughs> it was a good thing that he was there to take the wrath of God uh, for us, and it made God happy to do it. Um, and that's, you know, another one of the things people, uh, it's, we won't get into the Trinitarian theology uh, of the cross there, but uh, it's, you know, it's. It, it's hard to to wrangle the idea that God was happy uh in what was taking place on the cross that it that it pleased him that it was according to his will um so anyway uh, that's a whole nother I didn't mean to quite get off on that but
1: no no that's what I do every episode but um no no yeah that's definitely true um and it, and it's to think about like that was the moment in eternity or the time at eternity or I don't even know how you would say that. That was that was the point in eternity where uh, where sin was completely paid for and satisfied. It's like all the sins of the world being put on one person, like you said, who didn't know sin, who, who had never done a single thing wrong for all of eternity, and he was made sin. He was literally made a curse uh, in order for us to be saved and in order for our sin to be atoned for. And it's just amazing to think about what you're saying about when you just see a horrific story uh, on the news or something like that—something that just like makes your stomach turn—and to think that that person, even at the very last moment of their life, still could be saved and redeemed by Christ, because everything they had ever done was put on Him and and paid for. Um, which I'll just this. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to mention this because it's a really cool analogy, but when you think about the Day of Atonement, and when you think about the high priest going into the most holy place and and releasing, uh, or slaughtering the one goat, but then releasing the other uh, out to the wilderness, which of course, uh, demonic forces are the ones who rule the wilderness, and so that's that's a place where sin belongs. But when you think about the high priest going in to the most holy place and approaching God, like he has that breastplate with all of the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's representative of him going in and representing all of the people of Israel uh, before God. And it's like Christ did that for us as the perfect high priest, except it wasn't only the sins of Israel. It was the sins of the world put on him Gentiles and Jews and brought before God and then paid for by the wrath of God. And it's just like, like a dress rehearsal, but it's so amazing to think about the idea of all of our sin being paid for um, all of it being completely satisfied in in a way that we could never do because as we mentioned earlier sometimes jewish people will say well i don't i don't need christ we already have a, a system of atonement we already have we already had these sacrifices of course There is no temple right now, but um, but that's just not true. That they could never pay for sin; their sins were only paid for by looking forward to the cross at which they were ultimately fulfilled. And of course, we get to receive that same promise by putting our faith in Christ, by believing He is who He says He is, and that He is sufficient for us. Uh, And it's it's just it's too much to wrap your mind around to think about all this going on, but at the same time, just how good God is, and how like how God's wrath points to how good he is and and points to ultimately how much he loves his creation that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, um, something too of, you know, the defense of his, uh, goodness of his perfection of his, his holiness, you know, that his holiness is defended by his wrath you know it is uh sin uh and nothing impure can infiltrate the holiness of god because his wrath stands on the outside of that uh burning it and extinguishing it before it can come anywhere near him which is uh, exactly what it was that jesus did on the cross that he took all of us (laughs) and brought us to the place that we ought not to be brought us through the wrath of God into fellowship with him in his holiness uh, by absorbing that wrath in himself and shielding us from it in order to make a way for us to experience, uh, you know, the fellowship of God in, in his goodness and in his holiness. But Yes, the goodness of his wrath is that it protects uh, and and preserves uh, his holiness from any of these, you know, awful, uh, horrible things that take place uh, in the earth that he wants nothing to do with. And not only does he want nothing to do with, but he cannot have anything uh, to do with them. So. Uh yeah, it's uh it's a good thing. His, his wrath is a <laughs> it's a really good thing. Um and if we don't understand it wholly and fully right now, uh rest assured that we will someday praise God and worship him for his wrath.
1: Amen. Did you did you rhyme wholly and fully on purpose?
0: I didn't. Uh, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay, I thought, thought <laughs> might be maybe some of the could. children's books that I've been reading recently rubbing off on me, though.
1: Yeah, that's, pro- that's probably what it is. <laughs> Those pesky children's books. Not that
0: I have one on the uh, wrath of God. Uh, although I would read it to Simon if there was one. <laughs> Perhaps no, we could write to- it.
1: <laughs> you'll have to write one. Yeah, that'll be good. I don't know what it'd have to be called. Something that rhymes, holy and fully. That can just be the name.
0: Yeah. Theology Um, for Children. Yeah. Infants.
1: Yeah. But anyway, it is, uh, it's just, it's such an amazing thought to think that, like, to think how wonderful the gospel is, but we can't truly understand it if we don't, if we don't understand the wrath of God, or, or at least if we don't even know about the wrath of God because we never hear about it. Uh, And so just the idea of, the gospel so much more full and complete when you understand what was taken for you. It's not like Jesus didn't just come to make like a good person a little bit better. It's like he had to, like he took the spiritually dead, and made them alive, and he could only do that by taking on the wrath of God that we were meant uh, to take on. But before we, I guess, wrap this up here. First of all, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this this has been a lot of fun and I think very useful. But I didn't know if there's anything else you wanted to to add.
0: Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, we, we pretty much covered it. I mean, you could, you could go on and on, um, for hours and hours, but, uh, I'm, it's always, you don't have to thank me. Uh, my friend, I'm happy. I'm happy to do this anytime, anytime you want. It is, uh, it's a pleasure and a treat. Um, you're doing a fine job over here. Uh, you are a professional, um, and, and doing a really good job. So, uh, it's always a pleasure and, uh, have to make some make some time for you to come uh, visit us again. Uh, return the favor to you because um, I'm keeping score.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. If one of us dies, I want to be the one who had you on last. Like just one more <laughs> time than you did. And uh, and I forgot to mention this, but you uh, I'll link it in the description, and a a number of people have probably, they'll remember you because you've been on, but you have a podcast called Ravel A Theology Podcast, Uh Uh, so if you wanted to say something about that real quick, I meant to mention it at the beginning, but I just drank coffee and my mind just bounces everywhere, mostly to the Day of Atonement, but um, yeah, anyway, so just tell us about Ravel before we wrap this up. Yeah,
0: no, we just... uh... It's me um, and another guy, Basil, and we just kind of talk about the intersection of society and scripture. So um, it is not, you kind of, it's like a grab bag. Uh, You never quite know what we're going to be getting into um, here. You know, it's good. I think people know that they're coming, they're going to get something that is. Uh, densely theological and and perhaps um you know aligned with some kind of apologetic uh, thrust. Um, over there on Raffle, uh, we're a little bit more uh, Basil's a little more, uh, you know, loosey goosey how oh, he likes to explain it. Um, and you just never know, you just never know what's gonna happen. So um, <laughs> it's fun though. Yeah, we talk about the Bible, we talk about uh, what's going on in the world. Um, and every once in a while, have some heretics on to you know, spout off some heresy and then try to clean it up at Embar- the end. So um, embarrass you guys. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't do well, uh, Nick, uh, <laughs> you'd, you'd start rebuking them on the air. Uh, I usually wait until we're done recording and then try to say why they were wrong, uh, wherever they were at. Yeah. Uh, we'll record I how them. how disgusted anyway. you are. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, check us out. Um, anytime, anybody, but, um, Always a pleasure, and you'll find Nick on there a couple times too. uh, If you scroll through the catalog, Uh, he's been on there a couple times, so that's been fun. We'll have to do it again soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually did one. uh, I did the topic I just did recently on Bethel and Hillsong. So if anyone, if you want to go listen to a longer version of that, where we not necessarily debate but disagree, and if you have any angry emails or anything, you can still listen to that and send it over there. (laughs) Uh, But but anyway. that was fun uh, but anyway okay thank you so much for coming on of course thank you for taking the time to do this It's it's been great as usual
0: yeah absolutely buddy anytime uh i'm sure i'll see you soon for dinner or something
1: yeah or or patterns of evidence or both oh or both. yeah
0: yeah i'm looking forward to that yeah definitely well until then guys night out
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. We'll see you back here next week. Uh, We have a lot of exciting stuff coming up, so make sure to join us next Monday night at 6 p.m., and we'll see you back here in The Universe Next Door.